Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. Oh, that was robust. Yeah, what did you do? Uh, oh, yeah, baby. What is that? I am enjoying a uh, Holy City Pilsner. Now, I've had Holy City. They are delightful. Mm-hmm. They've got some good product. And they their, cans oh. are, their, their cans are all poppy and whatnot. Sounded like you <laughs> needed a, a power tool to open that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just about. <laughs> all right. And we have our storyteller of the week, Mr. Will the Thrill. Do you need help there? No, Everybody? no, no, I'm all good. <laughs> that, that, okay, well, that was a beer opening for those of you playing along at home. And, and what sort of beer are you enjoying this evening? I am enjoying the Stone Brewery in San Diego, based in San Diego, California, the Scorpion Bowl IPA. Oh, okay. Stone mm-hmm. makes some good stuff. They really do, and they're bordering on that kind of mad scientist approach to beer, which I really like. Yeah, well, we do have an announcement to make. The day that this episode comes out is Mr. Will the Thrills, the answer to life, the universe, <laughs> and the ultimate question. He is now of 42 years old. Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. So happy birthday, Will the Thrill. Yep. And feeling every minute of it. Yeah. Which old ass. I know. Probably because you're married to me. And while we're at it, we wish a very happy birthday to Johnny Depp, who turns 58. And one of my personal heroes, Mr. Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly, turns 60. And we want to wish Mabel Adams a happy 100th <laughs> birthday from Schmuckers. See, the difference is, I actually knew those people, or at least their birthday. You just made that up. <laughs> I did it for a joke. <laughs> but yeah, can, you believe, can you believe Michael J. Fox is 60? No. It's yeah. insane. Um, since it'll be Wednesday when folks hear this, yesterday was... Uh, Mick Hucknall's birthday, and he's like 61. Wait, who is that? From, who? from Simply Red. Oh, oh really? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> they, they came up on like an obscure 80s playlist I found. I'm like, I remember Simply Red. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so I have my mouth back. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. That sucked out loud. Canker sores are the worst. So we're all good, and we're, we're, we're 
tucked in, ready to go. We oh, are. Oh, oh, and um, and also Bonnie Tyler turned seventy. Are you serious? Holy yeah. crap! Total eclipse of my butt. That was the working title, actually. Little Weird. did we know. Weird, did no, I was going to say not everybody knows that. Total yeah. eclipse of my butt. Was a fun fact, right? Yep. And that was uh, written by Prince. It was. Mm-hmm. Prince. No, I, here's you're just making stuff up. This is gonna be dangerous. <laughs> People are gonna like try to fact check us, and we'll be like, "No, we always do our research." And they're like, "We found this one episode." Well, we found this one episode where it was alleged that Prince wrote a song called "Totally Close of My Boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huey Lewis, born in 1847. <laughs> born in 1847. Uh, well, how about we get to some actual facts? Yes, and, and these are facts. And, and this is going to be great. You guys are going to get so many fun facts this episode. I'm gonna. I'm excited. And by the way, he was born during the presidency of Frank Stallone, <laughs> who I believe served eight terms. Correct. <laughs> yes, eight terms. And had the in, in his uh, his biggest law passed was the Cheese Whiz <laughs> Act of 1842, uh, which said that every home had to have Cheese Whiz in it for at least six it's, days a week. It's a, it's an obscure law that's uh, that's no longer enforced um, except in Maine. Yeah, yeah. In, in Maine, where it was only broken one time by Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, weird. I see. That's see. That's great. See, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. See? I mean, and and he actually broke it while riding a horse backwards completely naked fun not mm-hmm. fact yeah. <laughs> hashtag don't trust me yeah hashtag none of this was researched <laughs> <laughs> hashtag we made it up. i was gonna say, I was, I was say if we have to put disclaimers on that then our audience is really not very bright <laughs> i want to give them a little more i want to give them a little bit more credit see here's the thing though we didn't really have a, like to my knowledge we didn't have anyone in the music industry pass away so Instead, we have to fill the time with our dumb BS that we, we come up with on the fly. And I am, I don't know about you, but I am severely sleep deprived. So this is going to be fun for me. And somewhere there's going to be a high school student doing a report on pre-Civil War America. And he'll be like, Huey Lewis was born. Bert <laughs> <laughs> Hopper, I heard it on a podcast. I heard it on a podcast, so it has to be true. Exactly. <laughs> Everything we I'm say is even, true. I'm not even and, editing this part out. You know, they, they said that. Yeah, but what else did you learn in this uh, podcast, little Johnny? So, well, um, they said that Reba McIntyre was married to a dolphin. Yeah, that's actually accurate. His name is... <laughs> and there was a time in history when all the members of British Parliament were the members of Wang Chung. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we could go on forever. The lords and ladies were... Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Oh, wow. Ah! Oh, wait. wait a minute. I worked very hard to work as yeah, reference. You can, you can still work it in. Oh, you can okay. still work it in. We'll play the Vuvuzelas twice. Yeah. Or, or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever their no. things are. The network will get off our back after two Manfred Mann references. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, speaking of uh, fudging around with history, I am going to do a few time jumps in this episode. I know... I'm not a fan of them. I like a linear approach, but I am going to Tarantino this up a bit because we are going to look at several points in Whitney's life that bear, shall we say, examining. And we are going to move around the timeline to highlight a few different things. And it is amazing how this entire episode will only cover three years. Wow. Yep, three wow. Years. Whitney, let so, me just, just to catch people up, I'm, I, I believe in our last episode, we left off about the time that uh she put out her 1990 album mm-hmm. which was a quote disappointment because it only went quadruple platinum <laughs> correct 
I'm Your Baby Tonight. Yeah, came out in 1989. So at this point, yes, uh, we actually closed with the Star Spangled Banner, the world famous rendition. And this was, of course, the height of Whitney's popularity. She was a multi Grammy winner, multi AMA winner, sold millions of records. And her debut album, Whitney Houston, of course, is largely considered, we saw a list the other day, LD, one of the best debut albums of all time, correct? Yeah, uh, actually, I think the list was the album that had the most hits come from it. Yes. So if you guys are familiar with a, a YouTube channel called Watch Mojo, they do top 10 lists, they're listicles, and one of them was, you know, albums that had the most hits, and of course, number one was Thriller, mm-hmm. Janet Jackson was on that list, but Whitney actually hit it, uh, I think, uh, number eight or number nine she was pretty on high that up, list. Yeah. she was pretty high so yeah and uh, i think she was uh, uh right behind at number seven manfred man's earth band <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen our second manfred man's earth band reference of the podcast if you guys haven't figured it out it's been satisfied we're, we're covered for yeah we're covered for a while now yeah yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and as we discussed many times, Whitney was crossing uh, racial barriers. She had a, a following of black audiences, white audiences. And up to this point, that was really not as prevalent. And she really just shattered those barriers. And the music was enjoyed by people of all races. So that was really remarkable. And as TJ, you pointed out, she was still at this point, America's sweetheart. She had the wholesome image. You know, she was seen kind of out and about with different celebrities like Eddie Murphy, but there was no real, her, her image was pretty much squeaky clean at this point. Pristine, um, really. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you one, you know what, I'm actually gonna let you get a little further, but I, there's, oh. there was a, a definitive moment for me where that began to change a little bit. It's probably not what people think it is. I'd be curious to hear it because I, I, there's one that sticks out, I think, for most people, and that's going to come later, but right, would love to get your take on that. And as we said, she set records like uh, Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, The Beatles. She actually broke these records. And we're actually going to kick this off with a bit of a dealer's choice. Because you mentioned the album, TJ, I'm Your Baby Tonight. Doesn't get a lot of love. Let's just pick a track off of there. Now, the one that I picked, I'm Your Baby Tonight. You want that one? I want that one. Uh, so LD's calling the audible. Uh, the one we played actually last time was My Name Is Not Susan. Great Which song. is my favorite one on that album. It's fantastic. But yeah, let's go with the opener. All right. So yes, just I, 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 yes I, I, the title track is terrific too, though. I, I really like that one. So to get us in the spirit, here is from the 1989 again quote disappointment end quote album. I'm your baby tonight. Let's go with the title track. <laughs> Touch me, I 
Set in the mood. Yes, I felt like that was needed. I love that song, and I, you know, I vaguely remember my mother uh, teaching me a dance to that song to do gym to, like gymnastics. Okay. Like a gymnastics exhibition at uh, the hospital. And now that I think about it, all those people are probably dead. Well, I mean, I'm gonna be the first to recommend this. Go back and listen to Whitney's catalog. There's so much. Yeah, that's a that was certainly an uplifting tale. Yes, now that we've got mommy taught me a dance for old people who are dead now. Who are now dead. (laughs) I tell you, this is what you get. Rainbows and puppies, rainbows and puppies. (laughs) And ice cream too. I am in a mood today. Well, instead of TJ, the the unfortunate crash is just on the horizon here. And I'd be curious to know your take on it when we get, you know, further down the line here. But 
I just want to throw this out there as sort of a disclaimer. This is going to be very hard for me because I think most people tribute her downfall to one person. Am, am I right? Am I wrong? I'm going to, I'm going to, can I play devil's advocate? You can. I will say that there might have been someone who loaded the gun and cocked it, mm. but I will not say that they were the same ones that okay. pulled the trigger. Okay, fair. It takes. Uh, uh, but if your question is, would most people agree that it's one person? Yes. Yeah. I think, yes. I think pretty universally. Yeah. I always say, like, you know, with that. I don't necessarily, but most people would. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. In that spirit, the disclaimer is, I'm going to present you with what I've uncovered in my research. These are facts, folks. I'm going to try not to editorialize. I'm, I will say I may fall short at times, but I'm going to do my best as a presenter to give you the facts and allow you to draw your own conclusions. That was, that was very British of you, by the way. Call yourself a presenter. Oh, was it? I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, it was, yeah. So... We go back to 1991, folks. That was Whitney performing the national anthem at Super Bowl 25, which had the famous, TJ, you and I know, Wide Right by Scott Norwood. Yep. Uh, never forget that as long as I live. So here comes our time jump. We go back two years, the Shrine Auditorium, Los Angeles, California. It is April 13th, 1989. And we are at the Soul Train Awards. Ooh. This particular ceremony was hosted by Patti LaBelle and Dionne Warwick. The show included performances by not only Patty, but Ashford and Simpson, Sheena Easton, Dion herself, and Heavy D and the boys. Oh my God, I would have killed to see that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And, and the list goes on. I'm just summarizing. Now, Whitney was nominated for Where Do Broken Hearts Go, which I realized we played last week. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to keep forging ahead here. Uh, I was going to read that song. I do like it a lot, but you've already heard it. You can hear it. It's we, on the podcast. We played that, right? We yeah. did play, we did, we crazy, did play right? it. No, no, no. You requested it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So the big winner of the night was Michael Jackson. He took home four, count them, four Soul Train Awards, including the Heritage Award for Career Achievement, Best R&B or Rap Video for Man in the Mirror, mm. uh, Best Male Single for that same song, and he won the Sammy Davis Jr. Entertainer of the Year Award. Oh, wow. All in one evening, yes. Wow. Other winners included... Anita Baker, who I, I'm going to sidestep here for a moment here. If you haven't heard the album, Giving You the Best That I Got, stop listening to this podcast and go listen to it. I love Anita and then, Baker. And then come back. Yeah. And then come, come back. back, yes. Please I mean, then definitely, yeah, like, come back. Because, yeah. I mean, but, I mean uh, Anita's got her money, but, you know. Uh, I mean, but, but Anita, <laughs> that album from Anita Baker is just, it's stupid. magical. Yes, it's uh, great. It's, Fantastic. It's flawless. Yeah. She got Song of the Year Award for, of course, the title track, which is Giving You the Best That I Got, which, again, if that was the worst thing on the album, it would still be sensational, and it's far from that. Uh, album is just unbelievable. Love Anita Baker. Shout out right there. Uh, another winner was Mr. Kenny G for Best Jazz Album with Silhouette. Oh, excellent. Kenny has a little saxophone. Uh, the best thing Kenny G ever did was, number one, the Millennium Mix. The Millennium Mix, yeah. Uh, which I listen to every year. Don't even care that it's, you know, done like 20 The best thing ever did was your mom. Nice. <laughs> but also, he did, uh, hey, hey, Travis, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but your mom is also my mom. What? Yeah, that's how we got to be brother and sister. Wow, that's on like six cents. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. It seems way less funny now. Yeah. Still funny for me. <laughs> Kenny G did your mom. <laughs> um, 
Well, no, oh, the other fun, the other thing is, I think I know what you're going to say. Right? Is Katy Perry's last Friday night video oh, where man. there's Uncle Kenny? Oh God, it is so funny. It is amazing. If you haven't seen the video, it's really it's like a take on '90s like teen sex comedies. Yeah, like teen yeah. party movies. Like mm-hmm. you know, you know. Oh no, I'm not supposed to have people over, and then everyone shows up, and it's it's mayhem, and there's like unicorns. And people kissing and braces and drinking. And- but the best part is they keep talking about Uncle Kenny and then you realize it's Kenny G. Because he's it's up funny. on the roof. He's like up on the roof, like playing the sax. It is hilarious. And, and the parents are, is it Corey Feldman? Yeah, and uh, Tiffany or... It's or, somebody or, like or, that. It's Tiffany or Debbie Gibson. Or Deborah, Debbie, it's Deborah Gibson, yeah. Deborah Gibson. Anyway, great video. Check it out. Uh, love for Kenny G. Okay, so uh, that's the next third thing for your list. <laughs> yes, exactly. Check out Anita Baker. Get your and homework, then, kids. And then and then watch the video for Last Friday Night by Katy Perry. <laughs> yes. We expect a full report next episode. Uh, you're going to love these next three, TJ. I know I did. The best rap album actually went to a gentleman named Will Smith. Hey. As the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff with, you're going to love it, Parents Just Don't Understand. Actually, the album was He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper. Yeah, um, but right. parents just don't understand. Nightmare on my street. Heck yeah, I Nightmare mean, on my street. What a great, what a great award show! I just want to go watch this whole award show. Let's now. do that. Let's do that. Oh, it's gonna be Let's awesome. Watch it. Best new contemporary R and B artist. TJ, you're gonna love this one. I'll be sure. There it is. Oh man! And then best R and B group single went to EU for doing the butt. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, the direct- boy, which is directed by Spike, Spike Lee. Lee. <laughs> it sure was amazing. And best R&B contemporary album goes to "Don't Be Cruel" by Bobby, Bobby Brown. Brown. Yep, so huh. bring in Bobby Brown. Uh, just Ooh, a side so note: that album was actually produced by Ellie Reed and Babyface. Okay, so there was already a link up with Whitney there. Mm-hmm. Uh, other winners of that evening included New Edition, which of course Bobby, Bobby Brown got his start with. Yep. Previously been a member of. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about Bobby because I feel like you can't talk about Whitney without Bobby. Bobby was born on February 5th, 1969. So just for those of you with a calculator at home, he's actually six years younger than Whitney Houston. Get it, you cougar. Uh-huh. Meow. He was born Robert Barrisford Brown in the projects of Roxbury, which is a suburb of Boston, as many know. He took to music very early, and his influences were James Brown, South Prince, Carolina. Marvin Gaye, and rock and roll podcast alumni, Rick James, bitch. I'm sorry. Now, Bobby grew up as like, as we said in Roxbury, he had a couple close friends named Mike Bivens and Ricky Bell. So yeah, we know where this is yeah. going. Uh, age 12, they actually formed the group New Edition, where they were spotted by a gentleman named Larry Curtis Johnson, better known by his monkeer, Maurice Starr. Uh, Star- maybe, maybe you need to tell people so, like, yes, why you call him monkey. I say monkeer because that was a slip up that LD did that I found just adorable. <laughs> I can't remember how it came up, but you were like, it's my monkeer, and you meant to say <laughs> moniker. Anyway, I just stuck with it because I think it's wonderful. I love you. Uh, and then... Um, hey, don't you love me, <laughs> I do love you. 
so Star was uh, Maury Star was actually a member of the Johnson Brothers, but really became known for putting together hip hop acts in the early '90s. He founded New Edition, but LD, you probably know the other group he founded in Boston even more. <gasps> Boston New Kids on the Block. Yep, Maurice Star was the driving force behind New Kids on the I Block. I think my brother can attest to how much I loved New Kids on the Block growing up. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Was it pervasive? I, I, yeah, it was bad. Uh, I, I am, my heart is forever with uh, Danny, Donnie, Jordan, John, and Joe. And I think my brother understood what he got into when the new kids on the block were the halftime show at the Super Bowl. And this was a tribute to Disney. And then new oh, kids on the right. block showed up in the middle of it, which was just weird. We talked about this last week, I think. But yeah, it was it, like, I was obsessed to get the sheets, the buttons, the jackets, the pins, like everything. I had like, I was in love with Joey McIntyre, had the t-shirt, you know, and they're still making music to this day. But it's amazing how Donnie has become quite the actor. Yeah. Some solid performances. Over oh, the years. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, to be fair, you were also their target demographic. You oh, yeah. were exactly who they wanted to listen to their music. <laughs> A mildly yeah. hormonal female. Exactly. <laughs> Around the teenage years. Yeah. So. You were, you were just, again, ripe for the picking. Uh, New Edition was, of course, known for a number of hits, including Cool It Now and Candy Girl. It was very apparent, though, that even in the early years, Bobby was getting impatient with New Edition. So he decided he was going to go out and go solo. Now, he was only 17. So are you saying he was good to good to good to go solo? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm just saying well that it done. was probably his prerogative that he, he leave. Right. He, he was on, on his own, uh, which was interesting the track that he gained fame for from Ghostbusters 2, the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, that was just a In which he made a, a very brief appearance, if I remember correctly. That was so good. So Bobby was one of the performers at this 1989 Soul Train Awards. He performed Don't Be Cruel on stage, and actually Whitney was seated right behind him. Now, the account from Whitney is that she kept moving around, talking to her friends, and hitting his chair. Bobby said that it was, quote, love at first sight. Well, I'm going to let you glean from this what you will. Accounts of Whitney's friends say she kept bumping into him. They said, hey, if you keep doing this, he's going to get frustrated. So Whitney leaned over and said, I'm very sorry. Bobby responded with, yeah, well, just don't let it happen again. <laughs> love at first sight. So love at first sight. Yeah, that's a smooth pickup line there, bud. Uh, that's like Shakespeare, I'm telling you. <laughs> so needless to say, Whitney invited him to a party she was going to. They hit it off. And Whitney was adamant to say that she and Bobby were friends first. They were friends first. There was nothing romantic. Bobby's accounts differ slightly from this. Do I know the truth? No, I do not. All I know is that this did very little to, let's say, steer the rumors of her alleged sexuality. People were still convinced she was having a relationship with Robin. Now, Robin was very outspoken about against Bobby from the beginning. Both she and Sissy insisted that their relationship was not good for either of them, but Whitney kept saying, we're just friends, we're just friends. Well, Bobby's negative reputation certainly preceded him. When he left New Edition... It was on acrimonious terms. Bobby was known for causing conflicts with his bandmates. He had a number of, quote, what they called offstage antics. Uh, that was according to one of Whitney's biographers, Mark Bago. In January of 89, here's just an example. He was actually arrested at the Georgia Municipal Auditorium for performing simulated sex on stage. 
He was not yet 20 at this point. Wow. People are just super uptight with what happens yeah. inside the concert. They really are. I, I, my favorite is the, the Rick James story, smoking the joint. Yeah. That's amazing. Was that Rick James? We said, do you yes. want them to yes. Yep, yep. 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 That was Rick in Arkansas in about 1980. He also had a reputation for being unreliable. He would sort of disappear and not attend events or gigs. He would no-show. By the early 90s, Bobby was known to have a total of three children between two different women, neither of them he was married to. So walking into the relationship with Whitney, you already had this opposites attract of the good girl, the bad boy, and let's see what happened. Uh, Whitney always insisted that they were friends first, and then when finally it sort of came out that they had a romantic relationship. Whitney's response was to say she wasn't the, quote, Miss Pris everyone thought she was. Uh, Bobby always said, it's love, it was meant to be. So there are your accounts from the two who went through it. Now, to understand the next major step in Whitney's career, we're going to do another time jump, folks. So you'll have to indulge me here. So we're jumping now out of the 89, early 90s, back to Los Angeles, 1975. Picture it. Sicily. Picture it. Yeah, I know, right? A young screenwriter, then only 26 years of age, was penning a series of scripts. His name was Lawrence Kasdan. Any takers? Not familiar. He wrote a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. So did he do anything that was, like, popular? Uh, I gotta find out. He directed this movie, The Big Chill. I, I don't know. So, the, uh, so a series of unsuccessful cult films. <laughs> yes, a highly underground uh, personality here. Right. He penned a script in 1975 called The Bodyguard. And I think when it comes to The Bodyguard, it embodies the very image of what they call in Hollywood development hell, which LD is a term you're familiar with, having been in the business. Yes. Uh, this movie is the picture of development hell. So when Lawrence Kasdan first wrote it, nobody wanted to touch it. Allegedly, it took him two years and 66 pitches to get somebody interested in the movie. So... Wow. Yeah, so nobody wanted to do it. He actually wrote the male lead part of Frank Farmer for Steve McQueen. Great idea, except for the fact that McQueen was diagnosed with cancer and would pass away just a couple years later. Oh my gosh, yeah. 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 So timing was certainly not in his favor. Now, they then proposed that the script, this is around 1978, would go into production with Ryan O'Neill as the star. O'Neill was coming off of Paper Moon, Barry Lyndon, and Love Story. And the female lead was pitched as Diana Ross. The problem was... We know how we feel. Yeah. Ross was coming off of The Wiz, which was largely considered a box office disaster. So, plug pulled, everybody backs out. Uh, Ross, it, some people say Ross actually backed out of the project voluntarily, but we really don't know. Either way, the script goes back on the shelf for 12 more years i hate to interrupt you will but we will have to take a short break for our sponsors and we will be right back and we are back all right let's get back to whitney houston now we come to the late 80s early 90s where an actor by the name of kevin costner starred in a movie called the big chill directed by lawrence kasdan Apparently, Costner read the script and wanted to go forward with it, and he had a partnership with Warner Brothers. Uh, Mick Jackson was quickly attached to direct. As many of you know Mick's work as L.A. Story. Mm. Great movie. Volcano. I love that movie. Yeah, he directed it. And seriously, I love most, most disaster movies. <laughs> love it. In fact, let's watch a disaster film tonight. Fair enough. Anyway, 
Volcano is cheesetacular. Mm-hmm. Friggin' love it. Directed by Mick Jackson. And the Temple Grandin story, which I believe got an Oscar nomination, right? It did, and I believe that Claire Danes actually won Best Actress. Yes, she did. For that. She did. But uh, you'll love this one, uh, LD, and probably TJ will enjoy this too. The score for The Bodyguard was done another, uh, done by none other than Alan Silvestri. Oh. Yeah. He is he is an incredible composer. Yes, He's great composer. Fantastic. He, oh, full circle, he actually did the music for Back to the Future, starring Michael J. Fox, whose birthday is the same as yours, which yes! is tomorrow! Happy birthday, Michael J. Fox. End of episode. Here we go. Um, I'm done. Bye. Here are our socials. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, something to keep in mind here. This is the early 90s, so correct me if I'm wrong here. At this point, Kevin Costner is walking on water. I think this is probably the best <laughs> moment of his career. Yeah. Not walking on a water world yet. <laughs> well <done. laughs> Who can't be topical? Ah, I mean, he just planted a field of dreams. What can I say? Right. He, this was, but the, yeah, this is just after, what, Field of Dreams, Dances uh-huh. with Wolves, Bull yep. Durham. So yeah, some some really some of his best stuff. I'm trying to figure out a Birdman joke, but I just can't do it. That's Michael Keaton. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for playing. I quit. Our Birdman reference of the podcast. <laughs> so Costner at this wait, point. Kevin, wait, Kevin Costner. Who's Kevin Costner? Are you serious? No. You didn't see any of the movies we just named. Literally, I saw all. Robin the Hood, Prince of Thieves. He doesn't speak with a British accent. It's the worst one. I haven't you didn't say you didn't say the big chill or dances with wolves or bull durham bull durham I, no i actually haven't seen any of those you've never seen you. bull durham are you kidding me okay i've seen well well you're gonna have to i'm gonna need to remedy this, this by the next time we meet yes this is this must be rectified okay uh, of kevin costner movies i've seen Waterworld. that's unfortunate and i've seen field of dreams that's a great one that's a great one yeah and i think that's about it okay so at least you got field of dreams i think that because I can't remember if I saw Ten Last Cup? of the I don't. I don't remember if I've seen no, Last of the Mohicans. No, he didn't do Last of the Mohicans. No, 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 I'm saying, yeah. like, I can't remember if which one I saw. If it's Dances with Woods. Or oh, Wolves. or Last of the I can't remember oh. if it's Dances with Wolves or Last of the Ten Cup? Have you ever seen Ten Cup? I did oh, not. I heard that was a great one, though. What? Will, yeah. I'm going to, Will, please take care of this by the time we, we meet again. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Yes. These movies are all full of testosterone, and occasionally <laughs> I just don't want that. Like no, bull, no, no, Bull Durham's not. I'm telling you, it's that's a spectacular. That's a wonderful movie. Even if you don't, the word you could you could not like bulls. you cannot give one damn about sports or baseball or anything, and you'll still love that movie. It's uh, Susan Sarandon, right? Yes. Yeah. I think the point here is that at, at this at this <laughs> there's period, a point. No, there's we no have point. a point. At this juncture, Kevin Costner has a lot of clout in Hollywood, and that's going to be very important when it comes to Whitney Houston. Uh, And here's your first fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Kevin Costner actually cut his hair to look like Steve McQueen for the movie because, again, the part was written for Steve McQueen. And and please know the other thing is Kevin Costner is obviously uh, somewhat of a local celebrity, uh, his kids went to school here. I actually know people who grew up with his his children. And by all accounts, they say Kevin Costner is a good guy. Kevin Costner is the kind of person where if you work on one of his projects, he makes sure you're taken care of. So needless to say, Kevin Costner was dead set on having Whitney Houston be in the bodyguard. <gasps> JFK! Yes, he was in JFK. I saw JFK. There you go. There it is. He was dead set on it. And the studio was pushing back because they were citing a few issues. One was Houston's lack of 
acting experience. They figured they could get an actress first and a singer second. Kevin Costner didn't want to do that. So he was clashing with the studio all the time, especially when they insisted on having a white actress, which is a bit of a, I guess, if you think that the script was written for a mixed race couple, that's doesn't make any sense why they would fight. Uh, curious. That's a curious choice. Yeah, it is. To the point where Costner would often exclaim in meetings, yes, I know she is black. I'm white. Let's, you know, let's do this thing. So he stood his ground and it was actually announced that Whitney was going on a world tour. So Costner goes back for the studio and says, we're going to push till she's done with the tour. Okay. Now, fortunately, he didn't have to. The reason is actually quite unfortunate, but there was something going on I'm going to hit later that Costner was not aware of at the time. Now, again, Kevin Costner, a lot of power. The studio says, okay, we'll do all the things you want us to do, but she has to screen test. That's the rule. She's got a screen test. You know, that's not, in yeah. Hollywood, that's not no. uh, an unusual thing, especially from. because chemistry is so incredibly important. So, you know, you screen test and you do chemistry reads to make mm -hmm. sure, like, you you work. But, you know, Scarlett Johansson was still, I think, screen testing for uh, Black Widow. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and, and she's been in a ton of films. And so, you know, screen testing is a, a completely normal thing. Some people think it's kind of, beneath them mm -hmm. but it's definitely a norm in hollywood yeah and, and the thing is remember at this point whitney houston does not have any film credits correct she's done modeling she's done some commercials but she has no film credits uh but needless to say i'm glad you mentioned the chemistry because that's often one of the things that's brought up in this film whitney and kevin got along right away uh one of the things they united over was that they both grew up baptist and kevin costner actually shared this in his address to Whitney's uh, family at the funeral, which is very touching. If you can get a hold of it, check it out. Uh, he said that he thought his first vocation was going to be a preacher. Interesting. Yeah, he said he thought he was going to be a, a minister for the Baptist Church. Um, so they actually had sort of a fair trade going on on set. Kevin liked to sing, but he wasn't the best. So Whitney would give him singing tips, and Kevin would help her act. So they yeah. kind of met, and they, and they had instant likability together. But everything was hinging on the screen test. All the suits at Warner Brothers needed to know that Whitney could do this. So. She had no formal film experience. That was her biggest concern. When it came time for the screen test, she was extremely nervous. So Kevin Costner is with her the whole time. He says, don't worry, you're going to be great. She comes out for the screen test and he already knows something's wrong. She's standing under the lights. They're waiting to start and suddenly her makeup starts running. And they're kind of looking and they're wondering what's going on here. So Whitney excuses herself and instantly Kevin Costner knows something's wrong. So he follows her back to the trailer. She's in tears. He noticed that the makeup was running and Whitney says, well, I did my own makeup. It's how I've always done it. Well, she didn't use cinema makeup. Correct. Which if you're under those lights is going to melt. Yeah. So there's actually a, a store here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. called Cinema Secrets. Cinema Secrets, yeah. And it is actual like lighting makeup, what you should use. And it is cakey. It yeah. is incredibly it's powerful. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's, you can't do, now you can do your own makeup because they're all LED lights. But mm -hmm. back then, you know, it was a special kind of makeup, especially if you're the star that it's, it's, it bonds differently and it's much thicker. So now Whitney's upset. She's embarrassed. She feels like she's letting everybody down. So Kevin Costner takes a few minutes with her. He brings in a makeup artist. They redo her makeup. He runs back out to the set to make sure everything's okay there. So she comes back out, and according to everyone present, she looked like a totally different person. The nerves were gone. She, as we've mentioned, is absolutely gorgeous. The screen test was one take. That is awesome. And she just killed it. Nailed the part, signed with Warner Brothers, off we go. 
Now, the fact that Kevin Costner was not aware of was that Whitney actually learned that she was pregnant with Bobby Brown's baby in 1991. Scandal. Yeah, and they were not married at the time. Double scandal. Announced an engagement. However, Whitney suffered a miscarriage. So the reason the tour was pushed was actually for the anticipated pregnancy, and she ended up losing the child. Oh, that is incredibly sad. So all of this kind of circulating again when he's under just a ton of pressure uh it was of course the launch of her film career the bodyguard was released in november of 1992 and it made a little over 16 million dollars in its opening weekend not a win the film had a 25 million dollar budget however it would go on to gross get this over 411 million dollars worldwide wow 25 million dollar budget you don't need a calculator for that and you know what's crazy is Mm -hmm. that was prior to the oh it made money let's make a sequel exactly yeah like they just they made a movie and -hmm. it was the only one it was the only one so the first song we're going to entertain from that soundtrack which i think is appropriate i love this song and for those of you who don't know the soundtrack again please listen to it this comes from the 1991 bodyguard soundtrack this is of course one of whitney's most notable songs from the soundtrack it's queen of the night so good
are back. That's a fun song. It really is. And the video is just so badass where she's got the <laughs> thing on her head. The silver thing, yeah. Yeah. Like that look is iconic. That's one of those like iconic outfits that you see in films. And we just we're talking about this at the break, but I think it bears conversation on air. Uh TJ, you've seen the bodyguard. I, um, I have. It's been it's been quite a while, but yes, I did see it. Same for me. And LD has not. I have not. Yeah. So the reviews were kind of all over the place, uh, ranging from the hilarious to the very heartfelt. Uh, one critic from Entertainment Weekly said that the relationship between Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner was, quote, two statues trying to mate. Mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> Don't say anything funny while I've got a yeah. mouthful Sorry. of tea, please. And uh, the film, uh, he described it as disastrously languid, which is quite the description. All right, I'm in. I'll uh, watch this movie. Leonard Maltin declared it a, quote, overblown star vehicle. I would say the saving grace actually comes from none other than Roger Ebert. The thoughts on whether or not Costner and Houston had chemistry seem to differ. I love the way Roger Ebert highlights this because, again, his reviews are just always on the money. He actually will become a fan of Whitney Houston as an actress in the years ahead. Oh, nice. He will. Here is his uh, uh, excerpt from his review of The Bodyguard. Roger Ebert says, and I'm quoting here, the movie does contain a love story, but it's the kind of guarded passion between two people who spend a lot of time keeping their priorities straight. This is Houston's screen debut, and she is right at home in the role. She photographs wonderfully. He went on to give the film three out of four stars. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I will say that the parallel he draws between the busy people prioritizing life is actually very apt for Whitney at this point, because she's got her music career. She's launching a film career. She's touring all over the world. She's going to make an appearance in television in the next, in May of 92. She actually appears on a special called This Is My Life, which is about her life. Uh, she's planning a wedding to Bobby Brown and she's recovering from a miscarriage. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot going on. Um, now, as we talk about the engagement, Whitney and Bobby proclaimed their engagement publicly around late 1991, give or take. And as we mentioned, the family was not necessarily on board with this. The fans had mixed opinions. Robin Crawford was perhaps the most outspoken individual against the union. Here is a direct quote from Robin Crawford. If she, Whitney, goes through with this, I'm going to hold a press conference. I'm going to tell everyone that I'm Whitney's lover, that we have been lovers for years, and then I'm going to kill myself, end quote. Whoa. How do you really feel, right? Jeez. Yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a healthy relationship. Yeah. Oof. Is that wait? Is that mentioned in the book? Oh yeah. Oh wow. That's in the book. Holy moly! Oh yeah. The wedding was scheduled to take place at Whitney's estate in, as we mentioned earlier, Mendham Township, New Jersey. Lovely place. Uh, one of the wedding colors was lavender. Huh. So the press just had a field day with that one. I'm sure, now, LD, you know the implication of that, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. TJ, are you aware of the color lavender weddings, all that stuff? No. T LD, if you will. Okay, so um, I learned this from a podcast called You Must Remember This. Uh, the, the term lavender wedding is when someone is, you know, gay or bisexual and they marry someone of the opposite sex to basically get the public and the press off their back. So a lot of times the studio would, like I was saying, a studio would pair a 
gay person with a straight person or two gay people would get married to a, uh, you know, a, a, a gay gentleman and a lesbian would get together. And it was basically to preserve their bankability. So if they were married to each other, you know, it was always like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't have them, but I still love them, you know, and Rock Hudson, I believe was one of them, but the term coined was a lavender wedding. Um, I would say though, whatever you, you might want to say, I, I don't think you can say that she may have been bisexual. I don't think she was gay because she had already gotten pregnant by Bobby before they got married. So, yeah. yep, uh, you know, and, and again, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to really underscore, uh, underscore this. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Well, um, well as I mentioned earlier, it was the press that was really just running. Sure. I, I mean, I get people yeah. are fascinated with that kind of thing for, for whatever reason, but it's like, I just, I don't really care who she was married to, but um, yeah, like but I mean, she, she and Bobby obviously had a physical relationship if she'd already been pregnant once and we know that she's going to be again. Mm-hmm. Well, like I, it's like I always say, can you sing well? Then that's all I care about. I don't care if you're gay, straight, or in love with an alien. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you're in love with an alien, I kind of want to hear about it. I really yeah. would like. There's, I have questions. Okay, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that there are some Facebook groups that are devoted solely to that. Well, Sammy Hagar was big into aliens, wasn't he? Okay. Yeah. Well, there like, you go. Despite the swirl of controversy surrounding the event, July 18th, 1992, Whitney walked down the proverbial aisle. In a forty thousand dollar proverbial aisle. Well, there's no there's, physical aisle. Well, maybe they could start oh, It's just whatever you're walking in okay. the aisle. Then, then let me rephrase. It that. doesn't matter. It's you make the aisle. Whitney walked down the aisle in a forty thousand dollar wedding dress. Our whole wedding was like I know less than that. Six thousand. Yeah, her dress was like forty grand. <laughs> mine, mine was considerably less than that. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: your wedding, if your wedding is the same as a new car. You need to maybe just no. I, yeah. I I don't have an end to that. Just that's you, one day is like six years of our rent. Yeah. Well, that dress yeah. 40, 40 grand. Your dress down payment on the house. Yeah. Then do like then then you need to do like a, a wedding I went to once. Get married in your mom's front yard. Wear blue jeans. Smoke during the service and eat watermelons plugged with bottles of vodka when you're finished. Nice. Whole, whole thing probably cost 200 bucks. That's a party. Who did that, and why aren't we friends? <laughs> <laughs> so, the attendance for the wedding included Robin Crawford, and we've already discussed her opinion on the matter. Uh, someone you know, LD, Perry Pebbles-Reed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Impressive. Who would, of course, marry L.A. Reed. The marriage would end. In fact, uh, Pebbles was married a total of five times. Yeah, we did, all, we did actually. Yeah. One of our earliest episodes was actually on Pebbles Reed. And if not, you're not that she had passed yeah. away, we just wanted context for the series that we had at the time coming up, which was on uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. for context, if you're wondering why we actually did an episode on someone who was still alive, yeah, she she wasn't the main focus. She was kind of a no. She was the main focus. Oh, she was. Okay. Yes, she was. Interesting. Did you but, not even listen to my... I don't remember. Wow. Um, needless to say, if you're scratching your head there, TJ, she did marry uh, center fielder Otis Nixon, if that rings any bells. Yes, sir, from the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> I did not... I had forgotten that. Wow. Uh, another attendant was, maybe you know the name, LD, Cece Winans. Yes. Yep. One of the, I think, most successful female gospel singers ever, right? She's yes. up there. Uh, Whitney's brothers actually served as groomsmen for Bobby. Not an uncommon thing. 
And uh, Whitney was very wise because despite all of this, she did take her attorney's advice and both parties signed prenuptial agreements. Smart. Yeah. As we were discussing earlier, The Bodyguard was released in November of 1992. Now, the interesting thing was the soundtrack actually came out a week before the film hit theaters. The soundtrack was produced by, no shocker here, Clive Davis. Yep. And Narada Michael Walden, as we know, is a mainstay for, I think, Whitney's entire career, if I look back on it correctly. The soundtrack had a number of featured artists. Of course, Whitney was the star, but it also had Kenny G, Aaron Neville, TJ, Lisa Stansfield, someone I know you're a fan of, uh, Curtis Stigers, and Joe Cocker. Yeah. yeah. Whitney had six, count them, six new songs on the album, including I Have Nothing, I'm Every Woman, which is a cover of the Shaka Khan song, Run to You, We Played Queen of the Night, and a version of Jesus Loves Me, which actually hit the Billboard charts. Wow. Yes. So Whitney Houston hit the Billboard charts with the Star Spangled Banner and Jesus Loves Me. I guarantee you no one else has done that in So history. literally, she probably could have farted in a paper bag and it would have hit number at least 11. Uh, maybe 20. Okay. Yeah. But I think we can all agree why we've gathered here today. There's a song on the Bodyguard soundtrack that we're all sort of aching for. Now. We're going to do another time jump here. 1974. And LD, I can let you take the lead on this one, but uh, Dolly Parton penned a little ditty called I Will Always Love You. And it was a tribute to Porter Wagner, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, am I supposed to go somewhere with this? Oh, no, I thought it was more you wanted to elaborate on. No, uh, no. uh, Yeah. Dolly, uh, so Porter Wagner was really ill and uh, he had put his entire catalog up for sale. And uh, he got really sick. And so Dolly actually came to his bedside and gave him his catalog and said, I don't want anything for it. I just wanted you to have it. And to say thank you for everything that he had done for her by putting her on the shows and, you know, helping, helping her with her career. She wrote this little ditty called, I Will Always Love You. <laughs> and it is one of the most beautiful songs heart-wrenching songs you will ever listen to and if you don't get moved by it at least once you have no soul good summary (laughs) so dolly writes the song releases it it goes number one on the country charts pretty much right away now eight years later what (laughs) dolly included the song on the soundtrack for the film version of the best little whorehouse in texas it went number one again yeah now whitney houston We'll keep the streak alive. Now, just for a treat here, I'm going to give you not one, not two, but three fun facts. Fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. Fun fact number one, it was actually Kevin Costner's idea to have Whitney begin the song without any instruments. Interesting. The film's music supervisor named Maureen Crow thought it was absolutely insane. Costner did the let's try it and see how it sounds pure magic. I mean, we all know how that song opens. And if you don't stop what you're doing, again, you have no soul. Yeah. It has been yeah. removed from your body. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, fun- oh, what, oh, to, how are you the musical director of a film? And the idea of let's just start with Whitney Houston's voice sounds unappealing to you. Like, how did you get your I, job? I, I mean, I, I don't know what that job entails. So maybe there was a bigger picture there. But again, it's Kevin Costner steps in and goes like, okay, just hear it. And then boom. Bear Gold. with me. Yeah. Bear, Bear with, with me. me. Hold my beer. Uh, second fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. 
the song was almost never used in the film. It almost never happened, period, yes. The original song that they wanted was actually What Becomes of a Broken Heart. Interesting. Now, the song was originally done by Jimmy Ruffin, but I think the most well-known version, at least by our generation, is by Paul Young. Correct. That version was snapped up by another early 90s film called Fried Green Green Tomatoes. So... The crew of the bodyguard had to go, well, that's been used. We got to go with something else. How about this? I will always love you. <laughs> so that's how it came to be. And our final fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. If you look at the iconic movie poster for the bodyguard, you see Kevin Costner holding Whitney Houston, except he is not holding Whitney Houston. The woman on the cover is actually Whitney's body double. That's why her face is shielded. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if if that's the same in the movie or... Well, the the poster, whatever the poster is. the poster, okay. Yeah. So if if, if it's in that scene, though, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I just know in that shot, it is not Whitney. Yeah, because sometimes they can just pull screenshots. Correct. You know, like frames, so that's weird, but okay. Now, I do have to address a point, TJ, you made last week, because I think you were surprised, as many listeners probably were, that the Star Spangled Banner was the last time Whitney Houston would have a top 10 hit. I can see where you were going. And I was correct only on a technicality because the release of I Will Always Love You is technically a single from the Bodyguard soundtrack. Ah. So. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I worked in radio then. I'm pretty sure Casey Casey Kasem said that one a lot. Yeah. For a long time. Very high on the chart. The problem is it is technically a single from the Bodyguard. I know. I know. So it's called out on a technicality. Nonetheless, that song was absolutely ridiculous. It went to number one immediately in the UK and the US. That started in December of 1992. It would eventually go number one in, count them, 20 other countries. It was number one in 22 countries. I mean, that's that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe... It was. It either said or was very close to setting the record at the time for most weeks at number one. At the time, it did, and it also set another record of the highest selling soundtrack of all time. Yep, which I believe was then surpassed by Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, it was surpassed okay. by nothing. I actually looked this up today. Okay. Is it still the record holder? In, in prep, it 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 is first. Saturday Night Fever is second. Okay, so I, I believe people. Dirty Dancing is third and Titanic is fourth. Because Titanic is fourth. I thought it was higher yeah. up. I know, okay. I know, Bob, uh, I've just said it as a joke, but Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy actually was the highest grossing soundtrack to not have an original track on its. Correct. <laughs> Which is a very distinct honor. Which, yeah, it did not have mm-hmm. a single original song in the entire. Album. Oh, so, well, that, that means it outsold Forrest Gump, which counts for something. Yeah, no, actually, no, it, because they had the Forrest Gump suite. So that was actually. Oh, oh so they're even yeah. counting stuff like that. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. now remember, the bodyguard still had a score, and we said that was done by Alan Silvestri, but that's a different different beast. Uh, so. And that's when they actually used to separate the, mm-hmm. the albums because there used to be like the score and, and then the, the official soundtrack. And they just kind of mashed them. Didn't yeah. They? And then yeah. They, they slowly started to incorporate them. But so, if the number I saw was correct, it, it sold something ridiculous like 45 million copies worldwide. That is correct, yeah. yeah. So it's just bananas. Because yeah. people love Curtis Steigers. <laughs> hey, man, Joe Cocker's on there, too. So. And Lisa Stansfield. And uh, not, not to pick on Curtis Steigers. I actually like a couple of his songs oh, in the night. But yeah. yeah. 
I mean, honestly, looking back over the soundtrack, I was like, this is really good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff here. I, although until you read those people off, I could I could have named two songs on that soundtrack. That's oh it. yeah. But then you and we played we played one of them and I think we might be about to play the other one. Uh we're gonna get there. But before I think we'd be remiss if we did not have a dolly off. Uh, I provided both of you with a transcript of a conversation. Now, when this came out, obviously it's a Dolly song performed by Whitney Houston. And Dolly placed a call to Whitney Houston. The transcript is now before both of you. And we're going to have a a Dolly impression contest here. Uh, I think it's, I would say ladies first, but it's going to be a lot funnier if we go TJ first. Let's go age. Oh, God. Age so, before beauty. If you would please, Mr. TJ, uh, read read the copy if you would. Uh, oh God! Placed by Dolly Parton to Whitney Houston. Now you got to do your best Dolly Parton impression, yes. Travis. This is crucial. Oh boy, this is gonna suck. <laughs> well, that, that's where we're gonna have LD step in and redeem this disaster. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, this is gonna suck so bad. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm at a slight disadvantage, you know, because I have a penis and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> so that's your handicap. And I and I and I and I. And ergo a huskier voice. Um, uh, yeah, but Travis, remember, I have uh, just about the same voice as you do. So, But neither of you are Dolly Parton. Yeah, so. and neither of us are Dolly Parton. I'm reading. I'm, hold on a second. I'm looking at it. Sure, you can, you can review the copy. That's fine. Okay, I'll give it a go. Here we go. All right, yeah. All right. Yeah, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I just all right. it ain't so I guess, I'm sorry. LD will be the winner on a technicality, but... Uh, and there are no winners. <laughs> yeah, nobody won this. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try. This is not going to be good, but uh, I'll give it my best. Maybe I just need to hear somebody else do it first. I'm, like, I've got a voice in my head. I'm just, I can't, I got nothing for verbalizing it. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Be so awesome. it's going to be, all right. Whitney, I just want to tell you something. I'm just honored that you did my song. I just don't know what to tell you, girl. It never did that well for me. It did well for you because you put all that stuff into it. Yes. <laughs> That's, oh, that was awesome. That is horrible. That's amazing. That is, that is the worst Dolly. There are drag queens that can do a better Dolly impression than me. That was a good one. Yeah, was I was happy with it. Okay, I, I'll, I'll give it a go here, but this is going to suck. All right. <laughs> oh, like mine was good. Whitney, I just want to tell you something. I'm just honored that you did my song. I just don't know what to tell you, girl. It never did that well for me. It did that well for you because you put all that stuff into it. Those were horrendous. <laughs> we're we're going to let our listeners decide. Hit us I, up on our socials. I, because the thing is, the I, thing I, is, I can hear her saying it in my head. <laughs> and I just could, like, I'm sitting there looking at it, like, I can't verbalize this. Like, it's it. I can hear it, but I, there's nothing. <laughs> I'm not equipped in any way to do this. Yeah. Well, we are. We are, we're going to let the audience decide. I, I yeah. See, I, I bow to Travis. I'm voting I'm I'm, DJ. I'm, I'm DJ's got DJ. my vote. Uh, needless to say, uh. that is an actual phone call that Dolly Parton did place to Whitney Houston. Whitney was floored, and her response was, Dolly, you wrote a beautiful song. Uh, that song would actually be redone later by both Sarah Washington and Kristen Chenoweth, who LD knows. Um, I am completely obsessed with Kristen Chenoweth. I yeah. love and, and it would be, be redone shortly thereafter by Dolly. Again, yeah. Well, to be fair, it's Vince, I believe with Vince Gill. Did she do it with Vince yeah, Gill? She yeah. did a duet. She did it as a duet with Vince Gill, and it was a hit again. Oh my gosh! Amazing. Wow. So this song made a number of records, obviously, but it made a list of songs that are 
not knowing that are written by other people. I mean, it was Dolly's song, as we all know, but I didn't know if you were aware that the ever-popular duet Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton was, right. was actually written by the Bee Gees. Really? Yes, I did know. Yes, I actually did know that. Yes. I did not know that. Uh, David, David Bowie's fame was written by John Lennon. Wow. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense. They were friends. They were like buddies. I, yeah. I actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can hear all about David Bowie in uh, in our our ninety six part series, our, yeah. our two hundred and thirty eight <laughs> part series on David Bowie. A retrospective, <laughs> uh, the Odyssey of David Bowie. Oh, we should call it that. Oh, yeah. we should, oh yeah. Oh wow. Uh, Beyonce's Irreplaceable was actually written by Neo. Oh, that's a really good song. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't shock me because Neo is a, actually a really good songwriter. He is. Yeah, he writes some wonderful stuff. And, yeah. and TJ, you might have known this one, but I was unaware of it until I did the research. A Boy Named Sue was not written by Johnny Cash. It was not. I know who wrote that one. And who might that be? I believe it was Shel Silverstein. You believe correctly. It is Shel Silverstein. Yes, he, wrote, he actually wrote a bunch of country songs. Yeah. Which is from where the side, when the, where the sidewalk ends. In the attic, and, yeah. and The Giving Tree. He wrote The Giving Tree, yeah. Which is depressing as all get mm-hmm. out. Yeah, it is. So depressing. But he wrote A Boy Named Sue. Interesting. And of course, from my home state, the boss penned a song called Blinded by the Light. However, his version is overlooked because it was done by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. It is, ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. And for those keeping score at home, that is actually our third reference. Mm. And I'm expecting a phone call from whoever is managing (laughs) that lawyer. And I just want to, I just want to make the has been satisfied sketchier and grosser every week. I think we're fine with that. That's what I'm shooting. That's what I'm shooting for. Go for it. I do just want to go back to that phone call briefly where Dolly says, you know, you did such a wonderful job with the song. It never did anything for me. I think that's <laughs> the most Dolly thing she could yeah, have It's said. only been a number one yeah. hit twice. Yeah, but she's like, it never did anything for me. I mean, ah. Uh, and so, she she made so much money off Dolly's or off Whitney's version. Oh yeah. 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 And then she probably then she probably took it and used to end a famine in some South American exactly. province I've never heard of. There, there is a disease no longer on the planet because all that money went to get rid of it. She has eradicated yeah. the extinction of at least six different species of animals. Yeah, she brought the dinosaurs back, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, you know, funny enough, uh, we joke, but wasn't the the sheep that was cloned the first time they ever cloned a sheep wasn't it called Dolly because it was of called where, Dolly. where yeah. it came from? It was, mm-hmm. it was named after it was the, well the people named it after Dolly Parton. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because it, of where it came from the mammary glands of the mm-hmm. other sheep. Correct. I believe so. That part I'm not sure about. <laughs> but hey, I feel like I, I feel like well, I, ladies and gentlemen, the two biggest stars in Nashville. <laughs> hell. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I'm not going to keep the audience in suspense. I was going to table this song, but I think I just have to play it. What's that? What? This is going to be a really hard edit moment. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to tell you. So let's do our socials and our business before we close out with a classic from Ms. Whitney Houston. All right. So if you guys think that we're doing a good job. <laughs> You can't say that with a straight face. I can't. If you think we're doing a good job, you're drunk. <laughs> If you think that we're doing a good job, and why wouldn't you after this gem of an episode? If you could hear the unedited version of this, you'd probably demand that we send you money. As a B-side. 
guys, I'm trying to keep this show together and it uh. is just it is just not working. Anyway, if you'd like to get you know what? Let's just skip Patreon. <laughs> All right, we're going straight to Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT. You can find us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. You can check out our Facebook page at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website. And you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. And that's R O C K A N D R O L L H E A V E N L T at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. If I went too fast, you will find all of our info in the show notes. And just as a reminder, guys, because I am that girl, I am still casting the show You Bet Your Life with Jay Leno. So if you're interested, shoot me an email at lindley at youbetyourlifecasting.com. That's L-Y-N-L-Y at youbetyourlifecasting.com. All right. I'm going to shut up now because I want to go to bed. (laughs) All right. So we're going to say our goodbyes. You're going to say our goodbyes. Who first? Oh, bye. TJ? That's what she said. And there you have it. And there it is. So we're going to end on a bittersweet note. We're going to let the melodious voice of Whitney Houston take us out of this, mercifully, out of this episode. Thank God. Uh, But we're going to end with one of her most well-known songs, one of the most beautiful. And we just can't do the debate of Dolly or Whitney's version because they're two great songs in their own right. Um, they're almost yeah. good. they're almost not the same song to be no, totally different. No, it's completely totally different. different also one comes from like a platonic love mm-hmm. a place of platonic love and friendship and and then the other song is more about passion and love and and mm-hmm. and the end of a relationship yes love lost love lost yes so here it is ladies and gentlemen from the best-selling soundtrack of all time the bodyguard from 1991 whitney houston with i will always love you If I should stay, I would only be in your way, so I'll go, but I know. I'll think of you every step of the way. And I
treat you kind And I hope you have all you dreamed of And I wish you joy and happiness But above all this, I wish you It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.